Hey, this is Comics Please, um, comic books and graphic novels for parents, librarians, educators, and student enthusiasts. If you are any of those things and you are interested in comics for young people, for kids, for um, uh, adolescents, for young adults, um, for um, young readers of any kind because you are a, a parent, an educator, a librarian, or you, you, you yourself are, um, are a kid. Um, or just a kid at heart who loves reading graphic novels and comics, this is a place for you. Uh, my name is Paul. I'm an English teacher. And so I love telling um, my students who are middle school students about comics that um, might do some of the stuff that they did for me when I was in middle school. Teach me about the world, make me excited about reading, make me really interested in different kinds of topics and, and types of people. So um, Comics Please is, is about doing that, and we are currently a segment of the Comics Syllabus podcast. Um, maybe in time, if there's interest and people want more Comics Please, then uh, we'll, make, we'll make it its own podcast feed. Um, but in the meantime, thank you so much for, for coming and hanging out with me today. Um, today, I want to talk about Terry Livenson's new book, um, and that book is Truly Tyler. Um, Truly Tyler is the maybe the fifth book in a series that's now called the Emmy and Friends series um, by Terry Livinson, um, published by Balzer and Bray. And um, Truly Tyler comes on the heels of um, Invisible Emmy, which was the very first one, Positively Izzy, Just Jamie, Becoming Brianna. I think there's a book called Uniquely You or something like that. And then Tyler comes along, and Truly Tyler is a first for a couple of reasons for author Terry Livinson. One is this is the first of this series of books that centers on a male character. And secondly, this book was written, as um, Terry Livinson writes about in the afterword, the kind of the notes at the end of the book, um, written during the COVID-19 pandemic, when um, many of us, all of us, were kind of stuck at home and um, what makes that most interesting to me is that even though Terry Libinson was writing this from home, you could tell that there's a whole different approach going on here. Um, the first book of this series, Invisible Emmy, was really fascinating because when you started to read it, it was a combination of comics um, and of prose pages that were um, just uh, filled with different kinds of illustrations and they seem to be talking from two different points of view. If you haven't read Invisible Emmy or Positively Izzy or any books in the series, I don't want to give anything away because there's a bit of a surprise in each one to who the different narrators are who are telling the stories when they're in these different modes, comics or kind of illustrated prose. Well, Truly Tyler continues that pattern. Um, but instead of just two types of perspectives, you actually get a number of types of styles, of modes, and through that, um, two very important perspectives in this story. Um, you get the perspective of Tyler, and then if you're a fan of this series, um, you actually also get the perspective of Emmy, who's a familiar character. Um, to anybody who's been reading these books. Um, the books in the Emmy and Friends series involve a group of kids who all go to the same school, 
I think they're in, they're in middle school. So they kind of, um, the characters kind of overlap in each other's stories, which is really fun. Uh, and in the story of Truly Tyler, we get to know Tyler, who is a boy who is on the basketball team, is, um, I guess what the kids say, cool or popular. Um, and he also happens to be in Emmy's art class. And so even though Tyler is the character in the title, actually the book focuses on both Tyler and Emmy, our friend from, you know, the entire series. Now, if you haven't read the entire series, you might not know that Emmy is um, sometimes looked at by other people as a kind of shy and quiet, not necessarily an, an outgoing or um, especially cool um, kind of kid, um, but she just loves art and loves to express herself and struggles with shyness. And in this book, um, especially sh struggles with how people see her and how people kind of rank her in the different ways that there can be kind of a you know almost a ladder of coolness especially around middle school when young people start to sort out their ideas about you know who we should be and what it, does it mean to to look good or to be liked by people and a lot of those kinds of questions are being worked out in this book so what happens uh, to give away some of the plot is that Emmy and Tyler are in an art class together and um, they wind up collaborating on a project for a competition where they're going to make a comic together. Um, this is kind of fun and, and very meta for a, a bunch of reasons. <laughs> One is that, of course, Terry Libinson is a cartoonist and, uh, draw and drawing a book about cartoonists also because it's a comic about some kids who uh, figure themselves out as they are making comics. So there's it's comics about people making comics. And, <laughs> and it's also really significant that these two characters uh, wind up collaborating together on a comic book. That collaboration is the foundation of a friendship that grows between them. And the friendship is on one hand like a really sweet one and that they, they both have this mutual interest in art and in storytelling and they really kind of come together to tell a story. And at the same time, it's a relationship that's very fraught because of both of them trying to navigate the pressures of, you know, kids making fun of them or kids making fun of their friends or the different ways that that social ladder in middle school plays out. What I really enjoyed about Truly Tyler is that the book takes the thing that Terry Leibenson does so 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 well and makes really interesting in all of the Emmy and Friends series and kind of kicks it up another notch because you have multiple perspectives in this book. You have Tyler's perspective and you also have Emmy's perspective. You can see they kind of alternate with each chapter who's narrating and who's kind of describing things. When Emmy's narrating and when Tyler narrates you have some of those kinds of pages where there's prose and illustrations and Leibenson of course moves back and forth you can't imagine these words without these pictures or these pictures without these words and there's often you know some humor that lives in the relationship between the words and the and the pictures but you get to know Tyler's voice and you get to know um, or maybe you already know Emmy's voice really well from these two kind of alternating chapters of this kind of narration. When it gets to Emmy though, 
Emmy's story is often told in the form of comics, as we've gotten to know from Invisible Emmy. And we also see how their familial background, you know, where they come from and who's around them makes up so much of who they are. For Tyler, who we're getting to know in this book, his parents are divorced and he has an older brother who's very much a role model for him. And both his older brother and Tyler, and you can see on the cover, he's holding a basketball, are huge basketball players. They love the sport. It gives them a certain amount of social cachet. Um, his older brother, Zach, is a high school student, the kind of, you know, popular kid that all the girls are swooning over and everybody looks up to him. And um, Tyler's trying to live up to that in some senses. You also learn about his relationship to his dad, who he mainly talks to on the phone. When his dad calls, clearly cares about him, but seems to only care about him in terms of basketball and his success on the court and his achievements at school. And maybe has no interest or conception of Tyler being interested in art. And, um, you know, meanwhile, Tyler's mom is taking care of the boys and, and generally just a supportive and awesome mom, but just doing a lot. Um, so as Tyler and Emmy's relationship kind of builds in the course of each one of them narrating from their perspective, you really get to know these two characters and you're rooting for their friendship. Emmy has a long had a crush on Tyler. Tyler seems mostly interested in Emmy as a friend and as somebody who he can be creative with, somebody who brings out a side of him that he doesn't get to display or develop when he's with his other friends. His other friends, Anthony and Joe, do play a big role in this story. And part of the role that they play is that they are supportive friends, but Joe in particular is uh, always wisecracking and, and, you know, a little bit compensating for some of... Um, his own status insecurities by making fun of other kids and that comes to affect Emmy and his and uh, Tyler's relationship with Emmy as well as Emmy's friendship with her friend Sarah quite a lot and so some of the ways that the story very compassionately but very directly shows the impact of even subtle teasing the kind of stuff that you know sometimes it's it's bullying to one person and to another person they think that they are just you know just joking around um, I think it treats with some sensitivity in a way that really allows kids to think about, you know, in what ways uh, are my actions that I may not be conscious of affecting others or in what ways are others' uh, you know, um, thoughtlessly kind of playing around affecting the way that I treat my own friends and people I care about. Leibnizen, you know, speaks to all of that in this story with a light and compassionate touch. Um, and uh, in between the different pages of Emmy and Tyler's narration in kind of semi-prose and in, in illustrated prose and in Emmy's comic, we also see um, the pages, pages of the story that Tyler and Emmy are working on together. And what's really fun about that is you actually get to see two different art styles at play. You get to see Emmy drawing um, a story, this, the parts of the story in her style, and you get to see Tyler drawing the parts of, parts of the story in his style. And the fun thing about that is that you get to not only hear their voices in terms of, you know, how they interact with their friends and their family members and the things that are on their minds and how they react to different situations and a kind of like 
uh, semi-Rashomon-like, um, if you know that Kurosawa film where the same inc incident is, is viewed and told from different perspectives. Um, it, it's, it's got that kind of multiple points of view thing going on, but we also get to see the ways that they have you know collaborated to come up with this interesting story about a you know like a living boy and a ghost girl and how they're sort of like living in the same place but you know one doesn't know if the other notices and it's it's obviously a parallel and an analogy for what life is like for tyler and emmy going to the same school seeing the same um people and existing in the same place but because of their different social circles it's almost as if you it's almost a question whether they even exist in the same plane you know um so it's a it's a really interesting comic within a comic that is the result of the collaboration between the characters in the comic um it's fun to see Leibenson create a style that is emmy's art style and another style that is um, Tyler's art style, you know, and um, makes you think a little bit how art style is a kind of voice, is a kind of expression. The ways that um, not only the words you say and the points of view that you voice, but also the the way that young people who are artists sort of formulate a certain voice within their artistic style. You kind of get to see that play out as well in these comics within the comics. And, and that's just really fun. And I think that in, in total, what these different perspectives really do is, um, here's a page where Tyler's describing what the school lunchroom is like and the different groups that sit in different places. And this reminds me of, you know, this thing that um, people who do qualitative research or, you know, they study social groups within a certain place they call sociograms. They're like maps of, you know, who hangs out where. Because as human beings, we tend to cluster with people who are like us. And sometimes that's the root of lots of conflicts. And sometimes that's the root of misunderstandings. And sometimes it's where some open, naked competition happens. And some of the hardest things about growing up is dealing with the competitiveness and the status issues of people who whisper and laugh and look sideways at you because you're hanging out with this person and that. And what I think this book does so well is it shows a relationship, a friendship between two characters who are trying to break beyond some of those barriers. And it really shows that it's not easy, but for kids, it really puts the ethics of how we treat each other right in the middle and clears aside all of those questions of who's cool and who's not but without dismissing them you know without minimalizing them and it, i think it can be easy for adults to say oh you know that stuff is not important what's really important is you know who your true friends are but we forget that as kids that experience and those questions are matters of survival you know they're really matters of whether or not we will find love or acceptance or safety and so they they are super important and so I just appreciate the sensitivity uh, with which Leibniz and the story of Tyler and Emmy touches on those. You know, one thing I have to say um, for the series um, is that Leibniz has made an effort, you can tell, to include a diverse cast of characters with different ethnic backgrounds. And um, but, you know, you can still 
tell that as much as this may be a diverse school, you know, Tyler's best friend, Anthony, is, is black. And um, there is some mention of his race and his family background. Um, you can tell that um, the goal in these stories is not necessarily to make people's cultural ident identities at the center, but to really center their personalities, their relationships, how they care for each other. In some ways, though, I wish that um, the books could venture, especially when talking about social groups, to talk about the ways that young people's social groups often are a reflection of race and class. As young people do, adolescents do figure out a whole lot about, you know, who is cool and so on in relation to who has access to resources, whose families, you know, know which other families, who plays this sport or sort of has the means to do that activity. And I think what I like about Truly Tyler is, you know, this is about kids who may be in different social groups, may like different activities, but find a common bond in art and in making comics. I mean, that's just super, super cool. But at the same time, I think that there's something um, a little bit after school special, maybe. And I do mean that in a, in, in a little bit of a critical way, in the sense that um, I think that there's some lo lots of realities behind why young people have these kinds of groups that um, I think that Truly Tyler could tackle more directly. Um, and in some ways, I think Terry Livingston does tackle more directly in some of the other works. But having said that, um, uh, my daughter and I read Truly Tyler together and we truly enjoyed it. It is um, pretty long and even though um, Livingston's books are quite a fast read as a mix of you know, comics and prose. Uh, Truly Tyler is the longest of these books. <laughs> My daughter and I kept joking that we should make a book about Terry Libinson making a book about these guys making a book. Uh, <laughs> and we would call it Longest Libinson because this is the longest Libinson, uh, the longest of the Emmy and Friends series. Um, but certainly you can color me biased because I am also a kid who grew up loving basketball and also, and dreaming of being a cartoonist and often feeling quite torn about different friendships and relationships and social circles. I just could identify a whole lot with Truly Tyler and and we both enjoyed it a ton. So if you haven't read any of Terry Libinson's Emmy and Friends, you know, as soon as my daughter and I finished reading it, she went back to check out all the old ones from the library because she just wanted to reread them all. Um, it is a lot of fun. It touches on that nerve of why my my daughter really loves realistic fiction as much as in the last year she's been like totally into wings of fire and all kinds of fantasy stuff um realistic fiction still always speaks to her in this really particular way and i think truly tyler is just another example of how comics prose different kinds of text can kind of work together to do that so truly a fan of the series and um hope you check it out and enjoy it if you haven't and I hope you've enjoyed um, this segment. If you are interested in comics, please, because you are uh, yourself an, a librarian or an educator or a parent, or if you are a, a young person, <laughs> if you are a kid or a young adult and you like uh, reading comics that are, you know, made for, 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 for kids to read, um, reach out to me and let me know how I can make this part of the comic syllabus 
uh, better for you or if I should make it its own podcast feed for you because you're not interested in all that weekly comic book stuff that I talk about elsewhere. Um, Give me your feedback and uh, thanks so much for listening. Um, I think we'll be back again in a couple weeks. I'd love to talk about um, the second book of The Cardboard Kingdom, which just came out, which is drawn by Chad Sell and written by Chad Sell and a bunch of other creators. Um, I actually got to not only review in the past episode of Comic Syllabus um, Cardboard Kingdom, but Chad, I got to interview Chad Sell and am a huge, huge fan of, of uh, the work of all of the, the cartoonists, the creators in that book. So I think probably on the next edition of Comics Please, we'll talk about Cardboard Kingdom. Anyway, thanks for joining, and let's keep reading. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. Welcome to the Comic Syllabus. We read widely and dig deep in the worlds of comics and graphic novels. I'm Paul. I'm an English teacher and a comics reader. We are um, part of the multiversitycomics.com network of podcasts and shows at that site you'll find reviews previews interviews union dues cordon blues um all kinds of things actually there are no um (laughs) the uh if you (laughs) appreciate this kind of look at graphic novels and comics please subscribe wherever you find podcasts and uh, help me get the word out about comic syllabus because um i'd love to hear from you all out there um not sure if anybody's out there listening so um definitely happy to do this podcast um as a service to y'all but would love your feedback or just a shout out um and this week our polybag segment is going to look at four comics uh i decided that polybagged will focus on comics that come out from non-big two publishers that means we will um, not look at dc and marvel every week because you know what there's actually a lot of great coverage of those out there and it's not that i'm not interested in those not that they're not on my pull list you know that i pick up every week from um, comic shops but just that i think that we will cover here on comic syllabus uh, marvel and dc as they become available you know uh, on Marvel Unlimited and on DC Universe Infinite. Uh, Marvel Unlimited is sort of three months behind the publishing schedule and uh, DC Infinite uh, six months behind the releases. So um, that just lets us kind of look at them in a different rhythm. Uh, I, I'm still looking forward to talking about Loki and some of the Loki comics that I've been reading on uh, Marvel Unlimited and Comixology Unlimited, you know, in light of the show going on right now. And uh, still want to. Um, Look forward to some segments about the Eisner nominations coming up. But for this week, comics that came out to shops on June 16th, 
let's talk about the many deaths of Lila Star um, or Layla Star, Layla, Lila, Layla, from uh, Boom Studios and um, Home number three from Image Comics, Rangers of the Divide number two from Dark Horse, and Compass number one from Image Comics. And we start with, um, we start at home. <laughs> we start with Home issue three, written by Julio Anta with art by Ann Wyschik. Wyschik, forgive me if I mispronounced that. And uh, cover art by Lisa Sturl. Um, home has gotten better and better with each issue, um, which I'm excited about because although a lot of people were excited about this book when it came out, I think some of the response from critics was a little bit tepid. And I thought that that was unfortunate because I really think that the book is doing something special. Um, Anta and Wischik are weaving the story of a, um, a migrant family, a, a, a son and, and his mother who have um, left Guatemala um, and made way, made their you know uh, way up that perilous journey through Mexico to come to the United States and are met by um, shall we say characteristically unwelcoming even malicious you know um, border patrol ice agents and um, at issue three not to give away too much but a little bit again of premises and not necessarily the punchlines we've found out that um, the son who's been separated from his mother um, as so many families were separated at the border have has um has these superpowers and i know some of the critical reaction initially was sort of like oh another story with superpowers um and others were maybe just finding their way or feeling their way around an unfamiliarity with the art style i um i really thought from issue one that the creators had landed on something really unique really effective for telling this kind of story First of all, that um, the idea of superpowers not just being for those in society who are um, typically privileged or powerful has always been kind of at the root of comic book storytelling, I mean from Superman on, but I think to tell a story of not just the humanity and the struggle, but really the power and the, you know, and the, and the fight back of folks like um, the, the boy that we see on the cover here, you know, not just your Kansas Clark Kent's or your um, New York Peter Parker's, but really um, like the kind of young people and the and the family families and the refugees that as an educator actually get to work with and, and, and teach and get to know kids like this every day. And let me tell you that they, 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 they do have superpowers. Um, not the kind that blasts energy from your hands, but the kind that um, like deserves the power of fantasy storytelling like this. And so I've loved this about home. And I think that, well, I just felt like it's about time. It's about time that um, we applied this kind of, you know, really magnetic um, storytelling power to, to, to young people and to women. Um, like our heroes in this book. Um, in issue three, uh, the story continues to develop. So somewhat spoilers for the previous issues, as uh, mother and son have been separated by, um, by border patrol agents. And then we find out here, actually we can see on the opening pages that um, the mom has been um, deported um, to Guatemala. We, we can just, um, I think really see this very human drama and I, I think um, the way that the story is told, the way that um, the art depicts, I mean even on this page that you can see such a moral, you know, heightened moral contrast between uh, the mother who's seeking safety and, and uh, 
and that better life for her son, um, now having been separated from him and sent back in handcuffs on a plane, in contrast to what looks like they could be a tourist or something like that, um, walking down the, the, the airplane aisle. That kind of stark moral contrast of, of oppositions, like that's what comic books do. Um, I'm excited about reading Home as a literary text with young people um, because I think it puts to the comics page the things that many of us feel, experience, and see in the world, those contrasts. And so in issue three, we follow um, the mom who's uh, still doesn't know what has become of her son when after they've been separated, landing in Guatemala City. And at the same time, we also um, stay with Juan, her son, who has found, um, uh, you know, the, her, her sister-in-law, her his aunt, and um, they and he's in Texas and we come to find out in this issue that the the superpowers that we've discovered that he has um, aren't his alone in fact that um, at the end of issue two we heard that his father had these powers that was why he was in danger that their family was in danger and they had to flee from Guatemala and there's just these um, really incredibly poignant scenes with um, the aunt and you know and Juan and I think if you recognize the the comic book superpowers you know the sort of superheroic supernatural abilities as the representation or as the analog for the incredible human resilience and perseverance and um, I mean a gift for survival and gift and talent for hopefulness that it does represent in uh, marginalized and oppressed people all over and just as we could see that in Kansas Clark Kent or in um, New York Peter Parker we see that in Juan I think this book is doing something really exciting and um, and extraordinary and maybe long overdue so um, big shouts to Anta and Wischik for this book and I'm, I'm loving home issue three if you haven't read it I encourage you to check it out from Image Comics all right, and from home, we go on to the many deaths of Layla Starr. Layla Starr? Layla Starr. Um, and this is Ram B and Felipe Andrade's um, absolutely beautiful book about the sort of the, um, the fate of the, um, the god or the embodiment of, of death. Um, when uh, someone, a boy is born and and that you know birth heralds um, the the end of the end of death and so like some of my favorite comics in the past uh, of things like Sandman I don't know what's going on <laughs> and yet I know Rumby and and Andrade know where they're going with this story and so meanwhile you know here in issue three I'm just along for the ride it's um it's really helped to buy the luscious visuals I mean, you could see on this cover and on this page um, how in this issue in particular, they've taken the idea of a cigarette and the lifeline, the lifespan of a cigarette as it crosses um, various human and superhuman characters that um, we're concerned with in the story to kind of contemplate how things may be um, ephemeral, ephemeral passing or overlapping how the sort of smoke from um, one person's existence 
wafts into others'. Uh, I am not a smoker, uh, no judgment, <laughs> but I didn't think that a story about a cigarette would be that interesting to me. But once again, uh, Ram V has a way of approaching familiar comics topics and tropes from altogether unique angles. And I think that um, Felipe Andrade's art is, um, you know, he's one of my favorites. I got a Felipe Andrade page right up here. He's doing a lot that I think is, is concordant with his style, but is also experimental and different and new in this book. And I, and I like it. Something that really kind of captures both the mysticism and the playful, sometimes baleful um, experience of existence. <laughs> so, again, I'm not too sure what's going on in this book. Um, I can see the progression, and I'm excited as as the um, as the book continues to to get a better read on what the book is saying. Um, but in the meantime, it's definitely worth following. Many tests of Lila Star number three, Layla, Lila, and from there we go to Rangers of the Divide number two, um, from Dark Horse Comics, written, drawn, colored, uh, inked, <laughs> lettered, all of the above, by Megan Huang. Um, this is the second issue of a series that um, I wish I had gotten polybagged up and running in time to catch when the first issue came out. Um, when I saw it in previews, I thought the art looked gorgeous and extraordinary, so I really wanted to check it out. When I did, I was delighted to find that the book does have the feel of somebody who is creating it, um, you know, soup to nuts, like Huang is writing and drawing, and if you look at the cover art or any preview pages, like instantly the the um, ability to mix comic storytelling and kind of an animator's sensibility with light and with color and um, the clear like creating of a setting you know a, a, a sort of sci-fi fantasy setting and um, really painting a set of characters in a world situation um, it's it's pretty awesome I thought that um, issue one showed some promise and for me there was uh, a feeling maybe even a fear that some readers would come to the storytelling uh, maybe if they're like a stodgy old reader like me uh, with a little bit of misrecognition that because I think there's a lot to the way that the characters are drawn and the way that the um, it, sorry, drawn as in like characterized not as in the way they're drawn um, the artist is, is as I keep saying like splendid and beautiful um, but there, there's a way that the storytelling the way that the characters interact that I could see an editor critiquing as maybe a little bit light, a little bit, um, you know, maybe too much effort at banter and a little bit of the seams showing in the world. But I, I, I do think that when I'm kind of in my Western American comics mode, I feel like there's beats that are missing. When I think about manga and anime, actually Rangers of the Divide feels like it's putting the emphasis on the things that at sort of matter more in in those kinds of stories um and so you get some gorgeously drawn mythology you get the kind of you know character um relationships that are are familiar but sprinkled in with enough doses to keep you wrapped up in the story um and most of all i mean the drawing the art is just incredible um you can see from this page that there's uh, those kind of character interaction beats where the story spends a good amount of time, you know, with kind of like the old um, hard to please 
veteran ranger and then these young enthusiastic cadets who are kind of naive and you know with misplaced energy and all that stuff um, that's sort of typical but again when you look at these pages um, the way that Huang is single-handedly weaving this world and filling it with 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 light and with texture and with shadow not just in this the you know very um, you know animation looking drawing but also in the um, in the situation of these rangers who have to sort of monitor uh, a world between conflicts um, and in the um, you know the the, the self-doubt and the kind of the, the competition for courage that that they're going through as they face these monsters that they're confronting the monster art by the way and designs are incredible as well um, it's all pretty extraordinary and I think most extraordinary of all that it's coming from um, you know top to bottom from a creator who for whom this is a, a Megan Huang's first first solo book I believe uh, my one worry about it is that it's a four issue miniseries I think and the fact that we've had two out of the four issues I'm I'm, I'm concerned that the pacing of it means that the story um, may be cool but may only be a taste so I just think Megan Huang uh, is really showing off some amazing chops and I hope that they get the opportunity to um, either expand out the story or to do so much more. Um, so yes, uh, check out Rangers of the Divide. Um, the art alone makes it worth picking up. I think this story is doing something kind of fun as well. And finally, we come to Compass number one. Uh, Compass is uh, written by Robert McKenzie and David Walker um, and uh, drawn by Justin Greenwood, um, who is also one of my favorite artists in comics. I got a Justin Greenwood, a few Justin Greenwood things out here too. Um, and, uh, you know, qu quickly, I, I wish that image did a better job of making, making it visible, the contributions of color artists. Um, Miwa, Boland, and Troutman help make this book this book, and it's a little bit hard to find, like, on the website where where those credits are um i had to open the book itself to list those um but among the many names um in this uh team of folks creating this comic which is a sort of interesting uh indiana jones like adventure but where the the creators are explicitly trying to tell a pre-colonial tale about um two women from different cultures who their exploits are intersecting and it's meant to be an adventure story that's targeted for teen readers and it's sort of all brought to you by Greg Rucka. It's kind of a Greg Rucka Presents title which I think is interesting. Um, Compass opens with some typical sort of you know adventure in a dangerous place um, situations but it's really clear from the jump that we're um, we're not in Indiana Jones and um, and his ilk, you know, stealing artifacts from, you know, non-European and non-American uh, cultures. This is set in the uh, kind of the in the Islamic Golden Age, and um, as usual, Justin Greenwood has a way of hitting for me, you know, to my taste, just the right note between a kind of. Um, sketchy and loose style that keeps the um keeps the comics feeling like comics you know like um adventurous and kinetic and dynamic and all of that stuff um and 
really rendering um, with enough specificity that fabrics look like fabrics, wood looks like wood, um, action looks like action that's coming alive. Um, so I'm just a big fan of Greenwood's art, as you can, as you can hear. Um, and as you can see on this page, and also um, here we have a glimpse of the kind of intrigue that you can tell is set in this, uh, that, that is set up in this story. It's a five-issue miniseries. I'm intrigued that its, its audience is, is, is teen readers. Um, I think that um, Mackenzie and Walker, backed by Rucka um, with Greenwood, um, are doing some interesting work with the uh, idea of adventure comics. So um, Compass Number 1 is also on my polybagged list. Anyway, check out these and other comics at your local comic book shop um, or pick them up digitally. Let me know what you think about these books. Let me know what you think about other releases from this week. Um, I'm on Twitter at 2ply and all that other social media <laughs> that's in the show notes. Uh, thanks for hanging out with Polybag for this week.